0: Say, can you say about Ferguson Darling? Ferguson Darling, a man of the people. I'll wave to my constituents every time the wind blows. A man of the times. Get with it. This is the 90s. A man with a sense of humor. Say something
1: presidential. No comment. <laughs> you get it done. Because he's not afraid to put in the hours. Let the history book show that I was never lost hard work. Ferguson Darling for president. The
0: time has come for me to take my place in the pantheon of great leaders. A fresh breath, of fresh air. Welcome to Cassandra explains it all, a podcast where we take a magnifying glass to all of our treasures from the past. Okay, perfect. What you're about to hear is an interview with Mitchell Kriegman, the creator of Clarissa Explains It All but also Bear in the Big Blue House, The Book of Pooh, and It's a Big, Big World. Not only is he a show creator, but he's a television writer, director, producer, consultant, story editor, author, composer, and actor. One of the most interesting things about Mitchell Kriegman is he holds patent for a method of hybrid animation known as Shadowmation, which combines high-definition virtual environments with puppets and animatronics. He's worked on everything from storyboards of Ren and Stimpy to SNL. In this interview, we also touch on his two books, The Follow-Up to Clarissa, Explains it All the Series, Things I Can't Explain, and Being Audrey Hepburn. In this interview, we get into neurodiversity and the importance of inclusion in children's programming and what Melissa Joan Hart was like in real life. So I hope you guys enjoy. Well, thank you for joining us today, Mitchell Kriegman. I'm happy to be here. It's wonderful. And I just have a few questions for you today. Um, thank you. Um, but first, I just want to say thank you because Bear and Clarissa were so formative for me because of the atmospheric inclusion and of safety and security. That's been paramount to me like as a child and as an adult going through hard times. Um, even my children, because they are autistic and they're finding new life in Bear and the big blue house, but also it's a big, big world. Thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. No, and it's something that I didn't know about when i was doing it but as i did it more and more the more and more episodes i did and the more shows i did i've i've learned that it's in almost everything i do there's some kind of sense of uh inclusion that is really responded to well by people who you know either are different or have issues or just don't know how the world's going to accept them or almost anything it could be almost anything
0: I'm really just starting to learn about this whole process uh, because of my kids. And so the more and more I go over your work from the past, um, it just astonishes me that there's this whole other way of creating art. seems like it was just groundbreaking at the time.
1: What, what do you mean by that? The video art and performance art? Yeah, I,
0: or yeah, but not even just the medium, which is also groundbreaking, of course. We, we're going to get into that, but even the ideas behind it. And I know that this type of like Andy Warhol approach to art isn't necessarily new, but it's not something that's mainstream to my generation only, and it only has been because of you.
1: Well, not just me, but yeah. I mean, um, it definitely it kind of doesn't, it exists to some degree, but not in the same way anymore, you know? It was really avant-garde, which sort of doesn't exist anymore, you know?
0: Right, and while watching the collection from Chasing Bubbles, which is the archive of your work, which, great name, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was, firstly, I was fascinated by the patent idea for hybrid animation, and can you oh. speak on that a little bit?
1: Well, yeah, and let me just frame kind of the, you saw this lecture I did on the beginning of, uh, so i it's a privilege, it's a honor, it's a kind of a revelation. It was surprising to me, uh, my work, all my work from my earliest days as a, as a performance artist and video artist and audio artist to Clarissa and Bear and everything I've ever done, and even especially the projects that didn't happen, which is my favorite part, um, uh, have been collected at UCSB's uh, Museum of Art and Design and Architecture, and the library collection for uh, uh, Santa Barbara, University of California, Santa Barbara. So there's a ton of stuff in there. They haven't even gone through it all yet. It's something like 150 boxes of stuff, but, they uh asked me to do a lecture sort of to announce it to celebrate it and i did this lecture called um basically it's called chasing bubbles because that's how i see what i do i am always chasing the opportunity chasing a bubble of a possibility chasing a bubble of something as opposed to being uh always totally mainstream meaning as opposed to oh i just want to do a sitcom like all in the family you know what i mean I, I never wanted to do that stuff. I always want to do something that, um, that is fresh and new, you know, people call it groundbreaking if it happens and it works. <laughs> but as, as, from my perspective, I'm just trying to do something that I feel like I have freedom in and I can explore and I can, it can be exciting to me. So in that lecture, um, I did this thing called, uh, th- that I called chasing bubbles. Um, I did mention a bunch of different stuff, the pat, the patent, was this thing I developed for doing the version of Winnie the Pooh that I did called Book of Pooh.
0: My friend Jay wanted me specifically, cried and begged me to tell you that thank you so much for Book of Pooh and it was completely formative to her life because she could never explain to anybody how she felt um, until she learned the character of Eeyore and she struggled with depression her entire life. And she says thank you for all the work you did on that show and she just absolutely loved it. She grew up on it.
1: That's so great. I mean, I'm so lucky. I hear stuff like that. You know what I mean? I hear stuff. People tell me stuff. They come up to me. They write me. They, they call me like you called me. That's how we met. And, yeah. and tell me, you know, and sometimes it's really deep and, and, and sometimes it's even somewhat disturbing. You know what I mean? There's like a a that I corresponded with for quite some time uh, with PTSD who had kids with special needs, and he was on a mission to collect every episode of Bear. You know, sometimes it's um, um, a, a young uh, kid that's maybe autistic um, who has this vision of combining, <laughs> this one girl, she was brilliant. She combined um, Bear uh, Snook with the characters from Peanuts, and she wanted me to see that. And so, oh, wow. I got, yeah, and I get, and for a while, Uh, when I still had stuff from the shows, which I don't really have on hand anymore. I used to be sending stuff out every week. I would send out, you know, toys and books and all sorts of stuff uh, to people that were looking for them because sometimes you can't find these things. So anyway.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And that's so, (laughs) that's amazing of you to do that. Yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Um, But I just wanted you to expand on that it's so crucial that young artists that were impacted by this kind of work from Nickelodeon and the animators there, and you can continue to like carry on these things, but the things that you were doing with puppetry on that show were really groundbreaking.
1: Oh yeah, it was definitely a different direction anybody had ever done um, and the idea was that you know to free puppets up you know to make them more um uh, spontaneous and involved with the environment and all the stuff that, you know, puppet stage kind of restricts. And, uh, and I just had the idea in those days, uh, they weren't that prevalent, like they are now, now it's ubiquitous. Right. But, um, you know, newscasters were some of the first people to perform in front of green screen, you know, they would do the news and they, and they, and and they lay in the desks and the room and everything else It was all baloney. Right. And I thought, well, if you can do that with people, why can't you do it with puppets? And that's when I stumbled upon, uh, and I knew about it from a different source, something called Czech Black Theater, which is really a kind of Bunraku puppetry from Asia, but it was developed in Czechoslovakia and Eastern Europe where they would wear black. Topo Gigio, that some people might remember uh, from a long, long time ago, um, was done that way. Anyway, so, I put together the most ancient form of puppetry which is Boon Raku with the most contemporary kind of technology which was real-time virtual sets run in a game engine no less and uh and it was at HD originally in, in Winnie the Pooh it was standard deaf and now in big big world it was in HD and it was a really cool hybrid um, Quality to it that made you sort of like wonder. Well, I wonder how this is done, and then eventually, sort of give up and just enjoy it.
0: And that's really just the whole point of it, isn't it? Is that to become um, the the caliber of artist that you are, you really need to just continue creating, even if you don't know what is going. The end is going to look like you're just completely innovating and trying things, even if you know. Just keep going, keep trying, keep creating, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, you usually have an intuition that's going to work. Okay you hit a wall.
0: <laughs> right.
1: But there's a real joy in problem solving. And when I was building that technology, and I'm not a computer guy, I didn't build the puppets, but it was my idea to put it all together. I really loved working with some brilliant people on the technology and on the puppetry. And and it would be like, well, if you could do this, can't we do that? And let's try this. If this will work, why does that work? And like every day we were solving all sorts of problems. And it was really exciting.
0: They're collaborating. Yeah. And where did the inspiration for Bear's House come from? Oh, well, there's a couple of things about that. I mean, the first thing was I was, I guess the first way it
1: came to me was I was working on Clarissa, actually, down in the Nickelodeon Studios in uh, in Orlando. And uh, we built basically Clarissa's house. <laughs> it's just we put the second floor and the first floor on the same floor. So it's like we built a house. The studio is so huge that we built you know, the upstairs and we built the downstairs, but they were both on the first floor of the studio, right? And, and it just got me to thinking about how, well, you can build a house. <laughs> you can go to do a TV show in a house if you want. And, and then the next thing that came around about that idea was, and in fact, the name of the show in the beginning was just The Big House. But it's amazing, so we dropped that and uh oh
0: my god sorry oh
1: my god yeah You're so, so,
0: funny.
1: so what happened next was i just also realized educationally based on a lot of very academic things that i had studied and read that you know the entire there's a there's an entire world of learning in a house meaning that and there's actually an entire history of mankind in a house now it's like houses didn't just suddenly show up and not have a history right so the kitchen is a history if you look at it this way the kitchen is a history of how people cook through the ages and how it advanced and what a kitchen is a bathroom is the same thing and you know bedroom everything has this history of architecture and use and sociology and all these things just embedded in it and uh and then bringing that down to the kids level it was like well every room in the house as you know because you have kids Kids learn things in every room of the house. They learn how to go to sleep in their bedroom. They learn, you know, what to do in their closet and how to keep it tidy. They learn, you know, what a kitchen's for. And at one point, I started thinking, wow, water in a house? What a weird idea. I mean, you can get water inside your house. And so how does water get in your house? Where does it come from? And you know that's very much a kid preschool level of thinking. That's kind of wonderful, right? Because once you get into that idea, and that's why the pilot actually for uh, Bear was about water. It was called Water, and then we redid it again as a first episode. But um, hmm. so water, you know, so uh, so the house became not just a cool thing to run around. Like, wouldn't you want a house that was just for? <laughs> And a house that kids could do whatever they wanted in. And that was a core idea of Bear and a big blue house. And the next step was, well, if you have that house, isn't it going to be great for learning and socializing and understanding things and learning to do things? Because now, um, in fact, I had that house before I had Bear. It took me a long time to get to Bear. I had, I just wanted to build a big house.
0: <laughs> no, A lot of
1: times yeah. I work is I just want to, I want to see something that I have in mind, you know, and that's how it's.
0: Okay. Oh, Yeah. If you're lucky that you learn those things in your house, um, the history, you know, if that, and, but for a lot of kids, that isn't the case. And that's why programming like that is so essential to our community or, you know, to human beings and that we have to really, really um, continue to try and strive to achieve programming like that.
1: Yeah. And when you think about a house, like a, a warm, happy house says so much about a family, right? It doesn't have to be a fancy house. It can be a tiny house, right? And so it also speaks to being in a family.
0: I feel like that's kind of a trend that Nickelodeon followed with like Gullah Gullah's Island, Rugrats, um, so many other shows. Yeah. So your other works of video art, like uh, the Dancing Belly, Mr. Mike's Mondo video, and even the SNL skit, they have a distinct dark humor. That's the era. And I thank you for introducing me to Better. Things, thank you. It's like a calm approach that seems to have translated to Nickelodeon, like I said, and MTV in a way through Daria, I feel, and and a couple others. Um, And what do you care to expand on that's as far as that personal comedy style, you know, and them just like pushing those boundaries and using a lot of that? Because with your belly button video, uh, and if you guys go watch, you you must watch this, you know, stream he has up, you'll see that it actually is very reminiscent of Innie and Audi, which was a skit that Nickelodeon ran as an, a bumper through the 90s. And a lot of your stuff um, I was seeing, you know, way predated this 90s Nickelodeon things that we think is so novel and unique were really similar to the stuff that you were creating, I thought. Um, well, it's, I thought yeah, it was such it's a good. treat to watch.
1: Well, I, you know, look, I was in the beginning, like a lot of things, I was just trying to figure out what I could do and tell the stories I could come up with. And my initial video art was really based on the idea that I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to tell stories. And I figured I better get started and start telling some. And I thought maybe... I can just set a camera up and make up stories every day and see what I come up with. And what I would usually do is find a prop in my neighborhood, which was Soho at the time, which nobody lived down there when I lived there in the area. But when I was there, it was factories and doll factories and furriers and, and machinery parts and stuff like that. Wow. The lofts. And so I would walk around my street and I would find a box of doll parts and it was so surreal right and i'd find uh an anchor you know that was sitting there you know and i'd find this that, and the other thing so i just as a task in my desire to become a writer um thought okay well i'm just gonna get an oh and the porta pack the first video cameras were invented around then and video artists were starting to use them and so i got my hands on one and um I set it up in the loft and I would stand in front of the camera with whatever prop, whatever thing I found and tell a story off the top of my head. And uh, and so I did all these very wacky, you know, strange little stories, you know, like a, a guy that carried an anchor around with him because if he didn't, he'd float away because he had air sacs in his kidneys and <laughs> didn't have the operation yet. And, and it would end with him floating away at the end, you know. And just an anchor would drop and you'd see his legs at the top of the frame and the anchor on the floor, um, who, uh, a, a, the reckless sleepwalker where he, um, would go to sleep and then he would dream about walking and it was a palindrome. It was perfectly structured and, and there were just a thousand, there were tons of these. Palindrome. I did tons of palindrome. Okay. Yeah, palindrome. And then, okay. and then I did this crazy experiment where for some reason I got a plexiglass wall And I had the idea that if I pressed my naked belly against the wall, plexiglass, see-through wall, and wiggled my butt, it looked like a dancing belly button. And then I played the violin to it, which I had learned how to play a long time ago, and uh, did the dancing belly button to a jig. Anyway, I did all these crazy things, right? And little techniques I discovered. It was like being at the beginning of film for me, meaning that Nobody was doing video art quite this way yet. I mean, there was Bill Wegman. There were other people doing it, but we were in the beginning, right? And it had a primitive look to it that made it very essential. It wasn't slick. So I did that for a long time, and it was really good for me. A funny thing was that I thought they were pretty depressing stories, actually, that I was coming up with. Yeah. In one way, they are, but I did it deadpan. And the first time I ever showed them in an audience um to at, the, at anthology film archives everybody started laughing
0: and i was, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh my God,
1: they're laughing that's so much better than them being depressed
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: and uh and then i realized oh this is funny right yeah. so then fast forward to uh nickelodeon days and um i was coming up with a sitcom that i had an opportunity to come up with a sitcom Um, I actually had a partner initially, and he bailed on me. We had a deal with Nickelodeon to create its first sitcom. And then he got hired by Norman Lear, and that was his aspiration. He really wanted to be in showbiz, you know? And I had no desire to do that. And and we were going to do a really, I'm so glad it happened, because we were going to do a kind of tacky little uh, kind of, um, oh, it's what that, uh, it was Space Swap, it was called, or something like that. It was about... (laughs) A kid from outer space, switching places. I'm sure somebody's done it by now. Anyway, it was yeah. a sick time. It would have been really corny and goofy and whatever. So when I was left to my own on the deal, like finally I got the deal. Nobody even knew who I was, they didn't care. But I started working on it and I came up with Clarissa. And I, when I came up with Clarissa, I started just naturally, because that's what I was doing before, sort of giving her all these routines and all these bits of comedy and all these crazy things that I did, but through her and her voice.
0: Right, to kind of and, sneak in that video art.
1: Yeah, and, and so, and the straight jacket has another long story to it. But anyway, so, so she started uh, doing these jokes and it was even more funny and lighter and more wonderful because she was a, she, well, first of all, Melissa Joan Hart is <laughs> on the screen. I
0: mean, yeah. she
1: makes it. makes everything light you know and so now I could have her talk about some pretty crazy stuff and because she was very wholesome and light it came off really nicely you know and still still had something to think about so yeah a lot of what I had done as a, a video artist and performance artist definitely followed through into um Clarissa, and also I'd say that my my attitude towards creating art became my attitude towards creating TV, which is not very successful, I'd say, <laughs> meaning that in TV, they don't want you to look at it that seriously. I mean, maybe now a little bit more with streamers and everything is a little bit better, but certainly not kids TV, because I just had to make sure that every little thing, every part of her room, everything she said, talking about freud or madonna or whatever sam and how he went everything had to be really well done and really finely tuned and mean something
0: mm-hmm. and that
1: was a little bit more than i think it was necessary to do a tv show
0: mm. well that's why i chose her for the name of my podcast because a lot of sh- i'd cover a lot of shows but the, a lot of it for me is just nostalgia and the fun of something i watched when i was a kid but oh. there's few very few shows that actually hold up um and clarissa's it you know she explains yeah. it all and yeah. <laughs> she takes her magnifying glass to everything
1: and, right exactly.
0: but and the video art and the music and the just all of it i mean everybody knows but uh, before we move on to clarissa's book though i did want to say i so were you working on those shorts or bumpers that they were doing at nickelodeon
1: No, I didn't. I mean, again, you know, Will McRob was there, Chris and the guys that did Pete and Pete. I mean, there were some really, it's like, it's a great opportunity when you usually stumble into the beginning of something.
0: Oh, that's so cool. So many like-minded people being able to have the synergy to work together. That's amazing.
1: And also Jerry Layborn and Anne Sweeney were there and they were putting this idea that you should explode you know kids tv you know
0: okay and she really gave you the like free pass to work hard and take a chance and i was watching the um orange years documentary that you were involved in okay and you were interviewed for that documentary and it got me thinking um you know with your archive how there's so much that's not released yet do you, you know, is there, and I will be interviewing the guys that are, do, that did that documentary soon. Oh, um, they're good. doing a thing on Guar, but, you know, don't you think that there's a possibility in the future for your fans that we could see a documentary about your work? Is that possible?
1: I would love it. I guess somebody would have to be interested in making it, but right. be- I'd
0: love that. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I felt yeah. like the Orangers was great, but there's so many of you guys that could be showcased individually, and you would definitely be one of them. Obviously, yes,
1: I would. I'm flattered. I mean, I would love to do that. It was like you know this lecture I did, and the archive itself was very traumatic at first, because I really was up until the last half hour of preparing it, I was terrified of doing it because I don't see my work as having finished. You know, and It felt a little bit like I was saying, here's everything I've done, and this is it. And I didn't like that very much. But in the end, it went really well. I mean, one of the things I think that was successful about it, that is something I think is successful to talk about, actually, is all my failures. And I wanted to, I didn't have time, but I wanted to actually read all my rejections from... The New Yorker and Playboy magazine and these other things. I wish I could have read my rejections.
0: The New Yorker. uh, You guys just have to watch this. I thought your SNL skit was so funny. Did I say something about that? Yeah. Yeah. Before I got
1: to SNL and when I was in Mr. Mike's Mondo video, SNL did two things. It did the parody kind of national lampoon, which I worked at too, it did the parody thing like uh, fisher Mat and it did these classic game show parodies that have obviously continued. And that was one thing it did. But then it did a lot of stuff that was just flat out weird. Yeah. Like it had Guido Sarducci who was on the street doing weird stuff. And it was all the Letterman kind of stuff and all the par- parody stuff. Then when Letterman came in, it kind of gave up. And when, when the original cast went away, they gave up on the weird stuff. And they only did parodies, and they did that kind of stuff. And all the cool, weird stuff went over to Letterman for a while. And when I came in, I was kind of supposed to be that old-style weird stuff. And, uh, but there really wasn't a, a, a taste for it, and they didn't they – didn't, they didn't. I was actually the teacher's pet for a while over there, and I got to see amazing things. But I got fired during Weekend Update one time, and that was it
0: oh my gobble wow uh wow well their loss
1: well that was the update was that i was fired
0: oh my god
1: well i had a i had a choice to work at SNL or do Ren and & Stimpy. And I can tell you that Ren & Stimpy was just a lot more exciting. And
0: Yeah, we could talk a little bit about Ren & Stimpy. I um, was always scared of Ren & Stimpy when I was a kid. It was so jarring and abrasive, um, but then I There was weird episodes that stood out to me, like Space Madness. Uh, but then I always liked how they used the stock music, and classical music, and it made my wheels spin. Even as a kid, I thought, well, maybe I can make a movie one day. And then I could use music that's free. And, you know, I could, it just was so inspiring. And if you could talk a little bit about what that was like, because I don't know much about Ren and Stimpy. I mean, obviously,
1: Ren and Stimpy was created by John Crispelusi, And, um, some not such great things have come out about him. And he was pretty wild and a bit, um, mad himself. Um, and leaving aside all of the stuff that's come out about his relationships that isn't very good, Mm -hmm. uh, he did have a really great mission in his work, which was to restore animation to its roots. And uh, animation, I had even worked on some of the tacky animation that was done in I don't know what years, but anyway, things like um, Alf Tales and She Ra and the Smurfs, you know, that was kind so of. So,
0: the generation of like every movie is going to get a cartoon and a cereal and a lunchbox.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. And it was, and the thing is, it was written instead of drawn, meaning that okay early days of animation. The, the Bugs Bunny and early Mickey Mouse and all, Betty Boop—all those things came from artists, from from sketch artists, uh, storyboard artists, gag writers who worked in in visuals, putting it together. Right? Yeah. No wrote script for Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny wasn't written; it was drawn. And what what John was legitimately rebelling against, and and successfully so, was Um, this thing that somebody should sit down like me, because he hated me, Um, someone like me, a writer should sit down and write a cartoon and then just hand it off to somebody in the Philippines to draw. And he wanted to restore it to the way they used to be done. So John hated writers. And I was the first writer that had to work with him. And he went to great lengths in our first meeting to tell me that he was the best writer And, and he just endlessly insisted on this. I said, great, you're fine. I don't, I mean, I agreed with his mission. The bottom line is I agreed with his mission. The only problem is that he also had trouble with anybody editing his storyboards, you know, and he would turn in one that was like huge, you know, like three inches tall. And we had to be, it really had to be about an inch. And, um, and so he didn't like, (laughs) <laughs> anybody, you know, giving input. But the bottom line is that John Chris Lucey reset the clock on animation. He, all, you can look around at all the animation being done today these days and see how much he influenced everybody and how much he opened the door for people to go back to being artist-driven animation versus writers. And I think he really, you know, deserves credit for that. That was really incredible
0: yeah that it is interesting uh, the boundaries that were pushed there. I always want to ask you about Clarissa's mother smoking a cigarette of course how how did you get away with this
1: yeah, you know well, also the whole episode well not that episode the first where were,
0: episode where were the adults at Nickelodeon
1: they were up uh, they were i was one of them i mean
0: <laughs>
1: there were adults everywhere and um you know, the first episode was her trying to kill her brother, <laughs> yes. you know? And uh, the funny thing about the smoking thing is that um, nobody said anything about it. Wow. I never got a doubt about it. I never got a comment about it. Um, and I see exactly why you say that, because in retrospect, it was like, but I just had a thing about how, you know, mom's smoking secret cigarettes and you never see them. But then suddenly you discover them and they're smoking a cigarette and it seems so shocking.
0: Uh, that's and, uh, what was so shocking. It was so realistic. And I but I that plus like I couldn't believe they would even show a cigarette. I mean, with Are You Afraid of the Dark, they couldn't even show them lighting the actual fire. Right. It, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, and that, you know, but and but I honestly I got much more trouble for the bully episode where Clarissa um is tired of of ferguson stealing her stuff and giving it to this bully and the bully picking on her brother and so she says you know cut it out and he challenges her to a fight and and they are supposedly going to fight now and it turns out that he falls in love with her and there's no fight but she's ready for it and uh the adults felt like that was you know impossible a girl would never fight a boy and i'm like no way it just happens all the time it's just not true and and they even put one of my writers in a terrible situation of having to go down to Florida where I was working at the time and trying to convince me out of it. And uh and I and I, I felt sorry for her and I kept on saying, listen, I don't want you to feel bad, but I'm not gonna change it. And in those days, I I got away with that. I mean, that's the way I was able to work. And that was a huge, you know, opportunity for me to do stuff that was so clean and so you know, interesting. And it's the way the best stuff gets done. There's just no doubt about it. You know, man, I had the same thing on bear when I, I warned them ahead of time that I'm going to do an episode about pooping. And I wrote them because I had a position at bear eventually because it was so successful and so good. It is like, you know, in terms of a show I've ever made where, I'm happy with almost every single episode, every single single moment in it, Uh, it's one of the best. And I told them three weeks in advance, and I had this position where I was standards and practices, nobody questioned it, and I um, didn't get a lot of input. I mean, I could do what I wanted on Bear. And so I knew, I didn't want them to wake up one day and say that I tricked them and put pooping in, right? And I also wanted consultants, and I wanted to make sure it was done right. So I told them months ahead of time that I was going to do this pooping episode. Nobody said a thing. I sent them the script. Nobody said a thing. Finally, it was like, I think, two weeks or three weeks before we were shooting it, and I said, look, and I called them up. I said, look, I want to make sure you know, because nobody said anything, that I'm going to do an episode about pooping, and we're going to say the word poop, and we're going to say the word pee. And I know that there are guys whose job, when they get this in the show, are going to go crazy because their job is to keep you from saying poop and pee.
0: Right. But we're not
1: doing a show that's going to you know, pretend there's no poop and pee. We're going to do a real show about pooping and peeing, right? Mm-hmm. And potty training and everything. And then they freaked out, right? They read the script and they said, um, well, I said to them, listen, it's up to you, because it was so late that they were going to be stuck having to pay for another episode, right? And I said, it's up to you. You know, either I shoot it or I don't. But what I won't do is I won't change it into something that isn't genuine. Right. right? So I'd already put in a couple extra poops and peas because I knew from Saturday Night Live, you always do that so that you can take a couple out and everybody okay. can come. And I did that. And then they said, okay, well, we're not sure we're going to air it, but you can shoot it mainly because otherwise they have to pay for it anyway. Right. And so we shot it. It went, I directed it. It went really, really well. They went and tested it. They said, okay, we'll test it and we'll see what it does in testing. And of course it was, it tested through the roof. Everybody loved it. You know, it was great, you know, and and on home videos, it's like incredible. And I've been, I've had people say to me, women and men say to me in their twenties and thirties say, when they hear about the show, they go, "Oh my God, you're the person that taught me how to poop." And
0: pee. Yeah, yeah. I I'm trying right now, trying to potty train with that episode. Oh, it's fun. At least it makes it fun, you know. Yes, um, my kids love Bear, so it's that's That's a win, but like it's disheartening that there isn't um, media like this being made on a mass scale, and also like do you know when there it's a larger production, um, maybe you have to have so many people involved and you lose some of like the creative control and aspect and this and that, so it turns out to be just a B project, but that hasn't happened to you like you were able to sustain this like, quality to Clarissa and Bear and Pooh, even though they got so big, um, which is amazing. But how, is there, like, a trick to that? I mean, is yeah. that era over? Is, you know, what, how do we as creators now uh, carry on that legacy to try and, and do that?
1: Well, the trick is there's a price to the trick. There's a trick, but there's a price that you pay for it. Which is, all right. so first of all, I always try to work where somebody, where it's new. Because if I go into Nickelodeon before they're big, they're not going to, and they need somebody like me, they're not going to be so over bureaucratic about everything that gets done. Secondly, you build up a reputation, obviously, as somebody who does it that way. So a lot of people, usually when they hire me, they expect me to do that, that which, you know, has gotten harder and harder as time has gone by. Um, and, uh, and then the other thing is that, you know, you don't actually get as much work if you work that way, because most of the work in television tends to be, not that there isn't excellent work in television by other people, but it tends to be sort of on a relationship basis and copacetic, you know, uh, you know, and not everybody has a mission. Not everybody wants to do something that's gonna make a difference, right? A lot of them is just, I wanna do a little show, it's gonna be funny, la la and they're gone, right? Okay. And some of the shows are great, again, but if you wanna do something that has that kind of integrity, you have to put a lot of work into it, you have to, which is what I would do anyway, and you have to actually draw the line, which is not a popular thing. That means you get in conflicts, and you have to refuse to do certain things sometimes. Now, I used to be terrible at that, even though I did it, and I did it successfully, I didn't have a lot of grace. I didn't have a lot of good skills at, I actually myself come from a, a, a kind of a, a rude background. I come from a, a, a background that was very intense and bizarre, and so I didn't grow up with a lot of social skills. And I've developed them over time. And, but I really, some of them only in the last 15, 20 years. And so at that time in my life, I wasn't the best person to figure out how to maneuver through. Um, I was the best person to create something great and stick to my guns. So I, I, now I look back and I go, oh, I could have handled that better and been more successful, and it wouldn't have hurt the product.
0: It was just- um,
1: now, I, I do that I do handle it better but at the same time I'll say this it's harder and harder now because the corporate demand and the corporate control is so much and they're not looking for in uh, the film term is auteurs they're not looking for voices you know in kids especially as much as they used to you know like Ren and Stimpy was a voice Doug was a voice uh, Rugrats was a couple of voices you know and my work is a voice. Now they're more looking for something that doesn't have that individual voice. Um, yeah. And they resist it and they look at it as old fashioned. They look at it as, you know, they look at it all sorts of ways, but the bottom line is it's harder. But at the same time, that just meant for me, I go do a different, form, I go work in a different area. I go, mm-hmm. you know, instead of, write a novel, you know, if that's a bad thing or i something
0: else and you have done two books um for fans of clarissa they need to check out um the new clarissa explains it all book
1: right um, things Things
0: i I can't explain Explain. um and it's i'm only halfway through it so no spoilers we're not and i'm probably i'll end up doing an episode just on the book probably um (laughs) yeah i like like to do deep
1: dives anything that you ever Every everything that Clarissa never did is in the book. I mean, never did in the, in the, as a kid, all the things that she grows up, she's Sam, you find out their relationship, you find out, you know, what happened to Elvis, you find out, um, you know, everything about her as she grows older and you see her kind of have to deal with a lot of difficult situations that she never had to deal with.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, really. (laughs) I would say if you are feeling, you know, um, cooped up during the pandemic, pick it up because you'll get the nostalgia. Um, It's a good story. It's a good read. And um, she's having a bad time with you and a good time with you. So you'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's fun. But um, becoming Audrey Hepburn. Becoming Audrey Hepburn. It takes a dark turn.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that book. um, And... I think if I had a chance to do it as a television series, it would be even Mm -hmm. darker. Mm
0: -hmm. I could see that. That would be wonderful on Netflix.
1: Yeah, because Mm -hmm. uh, it's um, about, uh, almost all my books are about, uh, books and all my work really is about the, this is a, sounds like a highfalutin term, but it's a creative transformation of uh, your life. It's about people who come up with an idea about who they want to be and they transform themselves. So especially if you come from someplace that's not so great, or you didn't have the opportunities to be what you want to be, um, you have to create something. You have to do something. And to some degree, at some point, reality crashes in on you, and it doesn't go so well. um, Because, So the story of Clarissa, I mean, the setup for Clarissa, is that, I mean, Clarissa, uh, the Being Audrey Hepburn book, is that there's this girl, 19-year-old girl, who has kind of a crummy life, and um, she's kind of a good girl going nowhere. And she gets through her life by watching Audrey Hepburn movies, and fantasizing about it, and knowing every single thing about Audrey Hepburn. And and her friend, who's super cool, and really one of the strongest characters in the book, um, works at the Met. And, as an as an intern and she comes across the dress from being uh from uh uh breakfast at Tiffany's breakfast
0: at Tiffany's yeah
1: yeah the Givenchy dress yeah. and she invites uh Lisbeth that's the name of the girl in the book uh to come to the museum and look at it and Lisbeth right away strips down and grabs the dress and puts it on and it's like a glove mm-hmm. and, with, and the zipper goes up just perfectly and then she starts talking like Audrey Hepburn because she's seen every single movie. So even though she has a Jersey accent, she can talk like Audrey Hepburn. And her friend gets carried away, does her hair. Everything is super cool until her boss shows up. And then they uh, try to take off the dress and the zipper's stuck. And so they, it goes from there. They shove her out into the gala at the Met she passes as an ingenue (laughs) a lot of trouble and eventually it really does turn uh kind of dark at some point and then together but you know it's the idea of um she had to pretend to be someone else to find out who she really was yeah and um and i think the book is i keep saying this it's my own probably dumb for me to say but i think it's underrated i think it really people that it's a parallel world in there and Mm -hmm. that you can take story and run it backwards and you see that it's opposite of what she thought was going on was going on and there's a lot in that book every single name every single number there's like kind of an archaeology of Audrey Hepburn in that book
0: right there's a lot of Easter eggs
1: yeah a lot of Easter eggs and literally things people say are things that either Audrey Hepburn said or were said in Breakfast at Tiffany's or in her movies so there's just a real intricate underlay in the book that I think is uh, really cool.
0: See that made into a movie. Oh my goodness. No, I didn't think that would be a great movie. Is there any chance? Um, I mean, I know that the pandemic is kind of slowing things down, but I know that there was a little bit of talk about uh, Clarissa reboot. Um, I don't
1: know. We'll see. I mean, I think, uh, I think what's important is that it be done in a really fresh way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, here's what's core to Clarissa. And believe me, I've had a lot of time to think about this. I've gone through, because obviously I I, I did write a script, I've written several scripts uh, at different points uh, as it's been contemplated. But um, here's the hmm. thing about Clarissa. Let, let's, let's leave aside, there's a lot of wonderful things about Clarissa, the non-gender bias, the, the computer games, the fact that it's the first girl you know, all these things are great. Right. But there's something else and it's really missing in the world right now that she did in that age that someone needs to do right now. And she, we need a kid to explain the world to us from their perspective right now.
0: Yeah.
1: We, we need to hear, um, a kid, explain it all to us. We want a kid to explain social media. We want a kid to explain, you know, uh, the pandemic we want you know when people joke around and they say online they say well why didn't Clarissa explain this well we need right. Clarissa or, or a young you know 14 year old 12 year old 13 year old girl to explain it again
0: right we exactly don't.
1: and we don't need to remodel Clarissa we need to do a fresh one that's what my take is
0: uh, yeah absolutely and um I mean Clarissa That meme's funny, but Clarissa did explain a lot of this. Uh, If you go back and rewatch Clarissa, the the writing's pretty good, I'd say.
1: Yeah, there's Um, a lot that people bring up all the time that were was sort of projected a little bit. It's funny.
0: Just pushing boundaries, yeah, really pushing boundaries at every turn, and um, you know what? And just a few, like a couple of questions to wrap up. what was Melissa Joan Hart like in real life? If there's any super fans of, of Melissa Joan Hart listening?
1: Well, listen, Melissa auditioned. There was only one other uh, young actress that, that I was considering. And Melissa came in each time and just totally nailed it. And, and it was funny, she knows this story that, you know, she was, she wore the same thing each time, which is something that actors do because they want it, they're superstitious, you know? Oh, okay. So if it went well, they want to wear the same thing the next time. And she had a pair of uh, like Oshkosh, whatever on, or some kind of thing with straps. And at a certain point, every time when she did the audition, that strap would, she was wearing a shirt underneath, but that strap would drop. It wasn't sexy at all. It was just, you know, Yeah. it was cool. She was just so precise. Funky. That, that everything went exactly the way. And she was amazing to work with. She's a bit of a character. Um, uh, you know, she had her own kind of uh, 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 thorniness in a little way. I consider she was great with me always. And she, um, but, you know, sometimes directors would freak out with her because uh she listened to every single thing they said but she wouldn't always look at them as they said it now you can understand this Mm -hmm. especially with your kids Mm -hmm. your kids don't always look you in the eye while you're telling them what to do a lot of times they'll be like you know Mm -hmm. their head to the side right right like exactly and and melissa would not act like she was listening when she was young i'm sure she does now right but when she was young, she wouldn't act like she was listening. And everybody would directors would come freaked out. And they say, She she hates me. She won't work with me. I don't understand. How do I work with her? You know, and I say, Don't worry about it. Just go about your business. She's listening to everything. Because she was so masterful. She knew the line, everybody's line in every script. She knew all of her lines, but she learned knew all of your lines.
0: Yeah. She- and- <laughs>
1: Yeah, she was. She was, and she was in every scene in the entire sixty-five episodes. Her you know?
0: performances, all but in Clarissa, but in her whole career, speak for themselves. Uh, she's trem- You can tell she's a tremendous actress, and she's so down to earth and real. Um, right. That's what I loved about how you chose her is that she doesn't look. She looks like a real girl.
1: Yeah, and she. And this was particularly hard in those days because now you have more natural actors and we see a lot of, like on stranger things, you know, now we see kids who are just amazing and brilliant and natural and, and you don't know where they came from because they're not from an actor. Right. And there were two problems with finding that kind of kid. And Melissa was that kind of kid back then before all of them came along.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. I had her time that way. And, Um, she was actually decently trained. I mean, well, she had a considerable amount of training, but she had preserved her natural quality. Now, Mm -hmm. number one, they didn't exist in those days. Kids were all, gee whiz, Mr. Willikers, you know, hi, I'm here. Yes, that's funny. I mean, that's what they were like. They were wooden. It was impossible. It was very hard to find a natural kid. And then the second problem was, If you found an untrained kid, which was more natural, they couldn't carry a series like this. No. They couldn't do the lines. They couldn't memorize things. They couldn't make it happen each time, right? So I found in Melissa this startling young woman who could be natural but also highly skilled.
0: Yeah. It's really lightning in a bottle. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) truly. Um, do you want to talk about the new projects that you're working on right now? Sure, I'll just give you a certain
1: overview if you want. Um,
0: <laughs> so,
1: I'm working on uh, this crazy project in Australia, maybe more than one, but at least one uh, that has a lot to do with uh, disabilities and um, uh, a group of people who, uh, adults, they're adults. This isn't a kid show. Okay. Adul- adults who are kind of Some of them are kind of nasty, some of them are nice, but they're, they're disabled people who, um, who are very efficient at robbing banks and uh, stealing things. And it's a really, it's a great comedy. I'm not actually writing it. This very talented um, disabled guy down in Australia is writing, and he's brilliant. And it's really a whole nother world. And it's such an uninhibited look. Um,
0: Is it live action or animation? Live action. Live action. Oh, that sounds like a romp. Okay. Yeah.
1: Right. And it's, you know, it's edgy. It's very edgy. Um, and then um, I'm working on a uh, a new animation series that's uh, addresses uh, neurodiversity. And that's the, the word I prefer to autism. Autism is fine too. But I like to say we're doing a show about neurodiversity. And i'm doing this with ann sweeney back from nickelodeon days um because it's more inclusive it doesn't say oh you have this and you have that instead it's like well we're all neurodiverse right so let's to get along right it's much more positive that way and a lot of people breathe a sigh breathe a sigh of relief when they hear that word
0: mm-hmm.
1: because suddenly their head gets around the idea of it not being a you know a, a scarlet letter it's now it's just like oh we're not no no first and because we all know and fear even that we might be you know have these things right i mean so that's another one i have this crazy uh show that got slowed down by uh covid which is an animated reality show i won't explain it more than that but it's a okay. crazy- cool show
0: very cool
1: um, i'm writing a um I'm just doing a ton of stuff. I'm writing a a pilot adult also with a Native American young woman who is just amazing. And it's a really sexy Native American show with nothing exists like it, you know. This
0: piqued my interest a lot. So, I want all the details on this specifically. (laughs) We'll
1: get to make it, you know, it's been, we've been trying to do it for a while. I cannot believe that there's not been a Native American show, it's just- I know. Yeah, it's, it's totally insane. Uh,
0: and- Even, it's sad. One of my friends said to me last night, um, they were talking about Hey Dude, and he said, I watched Hey Dude because it reminded me of my Native American relatives, a little bit at least.
1: I'm oh, like, wow.
0: God, that's sad. Like- <laughs>
1: crumbs. Everybody's had crumbs for so many crumbs. Yeah. yeah. And I'll just end it by saying I'm doing this crazy thing with a choreographer who's a good writer and director, and we're writing uh, a zombie nutcracker suite.
0: That's gonna be amazing.
1: We'll see how that goes.
0: Um, so is that is that a cartoon that's gonna be or uh, on ice?
1: With real dancers, with Oh real... my
0: gosh. And that'll be oh. in New York? No,
1: it'll be a film.
0: Oh, 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 okay. Wow, okay. Well, that's exciting. That's cool. I really appreciate- you answering all of these questions, my crazy questions, and I, if you ever wanted to come back and talk about more projects or even um, where we can find your—I know that your daughter's an artist. Um, any projects that she's working on that we could find, because I know a lot of my listeners are big into art and love to find new awesome stuff.
1: So, yeah, she's she's an extraordinary artist.
0: Yeah. Um, so if you ever want to come back, please do. And thank you so much for taking this time to do this with me.
1: No, I appreciate it. You, I, your questions were great.
0: Oh, I guess I have one more. I mean, like, what inspires you now?
1: Well, I'm still into everything pretty much. I'm always tracking down the next thing. You know, like I've been watching TikTok actually a lot. That's cool. Um, uh, not just for the dancing girls, um, but I, there's something because video art was very much like that in back a long time ago. And even though there's stuff, there is stuff that's not good about TikTok, my my daughter has, writes about social media a lot and she's more than explained to me uh, the aspects that are very troubling about TikTok. But there's a comedy in there and there's kind of a lust for life. There's a, there's this kind of everybody, things that would have taken me months to do in video art days They can do like that, you know, and and people are working hard to do it. And there's actually a lot of old style stuff in it, even. There's just a lot of stuff in there being made by people that's extraordinary, you know. Um, Go ahead.
0: Yeah, any excuse for people to be able to harness creative energy, I think, is a good positive thing.
1: Right. If they could like tamp down the the stuff that's, you know, there's some stuff that's very disturbing, and I don't mean right. uh, because I'm square, but because of young women, you know, in uh, and, and, and certain exposure that's going on there, that's not good. And that's something that my daughter explained to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, I'm interested in, uh, you know, I'm interested in the world evolving uh, anytime, you know, it's very, there's a lot of tragedy right now. But, and so that's not good. And I think New Year's was a weight on everybody because. I think it's a lot of people didn't really realize how bad this was until New Year's uh, because it was going on. But at the same time, I think there's the opportunity for innovation again, and people are looking for new things and new solutions. And I think that's really good because something new will happen.
0: Yeah. And I suppose that's where my desire to, you know, push myself and others to create more art comes from, because that's the only way I know how to help, Um, besides, you know, trying just to to support my local community the best I can. We're all kind of in this together, and... (laughs) That's a remarkable thing, that the world
1: is experiencing something at the same time everywhere. That's unusual.
0: Yeah, I, I keep thinking, you know, when's the next time we're all gonna go on pause? Yeah. So we should take advantage of it and reevaluate and um, make some positive changes. I look forward to seeing what you are going to create next and hopefully being able to explore more of your older work that gets released in the future. That's I'm really interested in
1: that. Yeah. Well, if you follow UCSB Museum of Art and Design, they'll be announcing at different points. uh, Okay.
0: Okay. And then maybe at that point, um, when there's more of it released, you could come back and we could talk about it.
1: Definitely. You know, and feel free to uh, publish that link, uh, to, I will. Uh, okay. So that people can see some of the crazy stuff we just talked
0: about. Oh, perfect. People are going to love this. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mitchell. You have a yeah. blessed day and please keep posting pictures on Instagram because I love them. <laughs> All, right. All right.
1: Bye. Bye.